Here we go. All right. First Thessalonians chapter three. First Thessalonians chapter three. Um, I know it's the Christmas season, but you know what? You can't just say, well, it's Christmas. We're going to have just Christmas messages because every message is based off of Christmas. Christ came and he didn't just come, but he, he lived a life, a sinless life. He was examined to be a, the spotless lamb. He willingly gave his life as a sacrifice. They laid him in the grave, and then he rose again on the third day. And he walked on this earth where witnesses could see him and realize that he was alive before he had ascended into heaven. In Acts chapter 1, I believe it is, where the angel said, You men of Galilee, why stand ye here gazing? Now there could be something to that with the Christmas story. Brother Adam, you could work on that one and you can you teach on that one because the angels announced his birth and angels were there at his ascension. Amen. And they were there. Praise the Lord. And so every message that you could preach is about Christ. It doesn't have to be specifically a Christmas message. But we're going to be looking here, continuing on our study, and we'll probably just continue on right through Christmas and New Year's and just, just keep going. And I believe the Holy Spirit of God can use the Word of God at a perfect time. It doesn't have to be geared. You know, if we start saying, I'm going to do this because of this time of the year, I think we can actually miss the will of God sometimes. But if we just let the Lord work, amen. First Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 1, Wherefore, when we could no longer forbear, we thought it good to be left at Athens alone and sent Timotheus, our brother and minister of God, and our fellow laborer and uh, in the gospel of Christ to establish you and to comfort you concerning your faith, that no man should be moved by these afflictions. For yourselves know that we are appointed thereunto. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the, the word of God. Lord, we thank you for these songs that we were singing this morning. And Lord, I, I think of the song, Away in a Manger. There is a way that was provided for those to be saved, for us to be saved. And that way was provided when our Lord, the King of glory, left his glory and came to this earth and was born in a manger. And Father, I pray that you would just help us to realize, Father, this Christmas season, as busy as it can be, to never lose sight of why we celebrate Christmas. Thank you, Lord, for what you've done for us. Thank you, Father, for this church and what it stands for, a lighthouse in this community. Father, a light in a very dark world. I pray, Lord, that you'd help me as I preach this message today, that you would speak to hearts as only you can. I pray, Lord, that I wouldn't get in the way of the message that you have for your people. Lord, I pray that we receive this, and Lord, we'd be better for hearing it. And Lord, it wouldn't just come into our minds, but it would sink into our hearts today. Lord, I pray for those who are not here. Thank you, Father, for Miss Connie making it safely to uh, her family. I pray, Lord, you give her a good time uh, as she spends some time there. Lord, I pray for others that are not here for sicknesses or for other reasons, Lord. I pray that you touch them, Father, and bring them back to us very soon. I pray for those who will be traveling, Lord, this week and, and be coming back. I pray that you give them safety, Lord, as they travel. Lord, we love you. I pray, Lord, that you just keep all distractions away today. And that you'd help us to focus on your word and the message today. Lord, we love you. 
We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. These verses reveal what Paul desired for the church. We looked at last week. We looked at his part that, uh, his, as a pastor's desire for the church. And keep in mind that he is no longer with them. As we looked at last week, he would have been, it would have been easy for, for him to have forgotten them or, you know, grown unconcerned about this church that was there. I, you know, I, I'm, I hate hearing about preachers that move from one church to the other church, just lickety split as hard as they can go without any concern about where they have left. And I, I, liked, I like hearing about a ministry of a preacher or a pastor who's been there for years upon years. Now, I'm not saying, I'm not saying that sometimes God doesn't move a pastor. To say that, to say that he never moves a pastor would be to disagree with the word of God. Because we understand that sometimes the church, if it's not being faithful, if it has forgotten its first love, as the Bible talks about in Revelation, talks about those seven churches, that he could remove those that candlestick. He could remove them from being a church any longer. And so it's important that we understand that. But I think when a man of God is faithful, and I think people are faithful to something, and not just kind of a routine, not falling into a rut, but staying faithful, God blesses faithfulness. Amen. And Paul had invested interest in this church here in Thessalonica. And I want to notice just a, a few things here this morning of what he desired for this church. What did he desire for this church? Well, first of all, we see here in verse 2, and he says, And sent Timotheus, our brother and minister of God and our fellow laborer, in the gospel of Christ to establish you and to comfort you concerning your faith. The first thing we see that I believe he wanted to see in this church and wanted to know that this church had was stability, was some stability. Paul sent Timothy to establish you and comfort you concerning your faith, to be established, to make stable, place firmly, set fast or strengthen. One thing a pastor wants to see is godly people who are stable in the Lord. I, I, there's nothing worse that it doesn't call. There's nothing that causes grief more to a pastor than to have people who are kind of in and out, in and out, on again, off again, really in and kind of backing off. No, we need people that are on fire for God. There has some stability who are stable and who are full speed ahead at all times for the Lord, not for the pastor, but for the Lord. And if you're going to love the Lord, you're going to love His church. If you're going to love the Lord, you're going to love God's people. The Bible says, by all this, by, by this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one for another. It's important we understand that. And Paul knew the doctrine that he had established there among them, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Timothy was sent to establish their faith farther. And Paul desired them to be settled in their faith, unmovable in the face of adversity. You think, uh, you would think in the day and age that we live in, with all the technology we have, with all the wisdom that we have, you would think it wouldn't be very hard for Christians to be really established in the faith. But it's actually the other way around. It's because there's so much out there. There's so much, bomb we're bombarded with so much. And we just start ex accepting this and we start accepting that. And we hear a little bit there and we like this and we a little bit there. And Brother Jerry and I were talking about this. We hear some things and we like this and we like that. And before you know it, we're led astray by our own desires, by things that we want and we enjoy and we like. You would think that we would have, uh, 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 
there wouldn't be as much confusion among the brethren today. You know, it's not like we don't talk from time to time. I talked to a pastor this week who was so discouraged, so discouraged, things going on in his church and past and people just not taking any initiative to serve the Lord, not taking any initiative, just just letting somebody else do it and just being happy to show up, sit there, keep their spot and and go home again and forget about it. And I told him, I said, listen, if everybody does that and you're the only one that takes initiative, you and your family, stay faithful, stay faithful because there's rewards. I was reading this week and uh, just yesterday in First Peter talking about the rewards, a, a crown that we can win as a pastor. It's important you stay faithful. Amen. He desired stability for this church. But so many today we find that or what the Bible talks about in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 14 that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. You know, I, I can remember dad teaching us a very valuable lesson years ago. Paper will lay there and let you write anything on it. And you know, computers will sit there and let you type anything on them. Video camera will record anything that you want to say and go with it. And it goes around the world and it's done. We need to be careful that we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cutting craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. They wait to deceive. You know, you've heard the old analogy that uh, we say from time to time to eat the meat and spit out the bones. Right. And I agree with that. There's been there's been books that I've read where I've taken the meat. I, I remember one book that I I passed around here to some people in the church that I believe that. And when I lent the book out, I said, eat the meat, spit out the bones. And I believe there was some really good stuff there. And but there were some things in there that we didn't agree. But it was things that were open. You could see it. And it, you just you say, well, that's 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 not right. And I believe that was a pretty good book. But what you can't do is eat something that has poison in it and spin out the poison because that doesn't happen. He said, well, how do you know what's poison and what's not? Well, you look at the trail behind them. You look at somebody who's preaching something and, and behind him is destruction. Guess what? There's poison involved. There's poison. So many today are poisoned by what they read, watch, or, or what they hear. Just because they're looking for something that they're desiring in their life. We need to desire God and what God's will is for our life. And I say this, if you're listening to something or someone who preaches something that we don't in this church, I, I, I say, yes, you can eat the meat. And I'm not going into people's homes and I'm not saying do this and, and, and you can't do that. Listen, no, I believe if you're, if you're a man here today, that you are the head of your home, you will give an account of God for your home and how your home is run and what you do right in your home and what's done wrong in your home. But I would encourage you that, listen, if you start bringing things into your home and you start following things and if it's questionable and your kids see questionable things, I heard somebody say this this past week. The parents... 
compromise will become your children's convictions. And I'm telling you right now, that stirred me to the foundation. What I compromise in will be their convictions. You know why? Because every generation loses a little bit more, a little bit more. And before you go, you don't have anything. You don't have anything. We have a precious little girl in our home. And I say precious because she is. We talked, Joseph and I were just talking about this week, how I said I prayed specifically that God would give us a little girl. And I told Joseph the other day, I said, God handpicked one of his best angels and sent her, sent her down to us. I'm telling you, my goodness. And she has no idea right now that she's digging in her purse just like a little woman would do. There she, <laughs> but I'm telling you, we were talking about something and somebody who had pushed their daughters to do certain things. And I told Josie, I said, it'd be a long time before you ever see me to push my daughter to do certain things just because I want her to be accepted in the world. You say, well, yeah, but you know, one of these days she's going to get to that point. Listen, no, I'm sorry. If, if Shiloh's a 47 years old, if I'm still living, amen. And if some guy looks at her, I still got my shotgun cleaned and ready to go. Amen. <laughs> She's got five brothers that feel the exact same way that I do. Well, I don't know about Isaac. He would probably give her right up. You know, he doesn't, he doesn't like sharing that attention. We need to be careful what we bring into our homes because it affects our kids. It affects our kids. And I say we need to be holding to the word of God. Everything, if it's contrary to scripture, reject it. Reject it. It's poison. It's not something you can take in. And you can't take fire in your bosom, the Bible says, and not get burnt. You need to reject it. That's why it's so important to spend time in the word and commit ourselves to our faith. If we're not settled, we may stray with, with difficulty. Or when difficulty or opposition comes our way, we might start straying off. And we might start, you know, agreeing Listen, you start listening to some liberal preacher that says it's okay and starts correcting the word of God. Guess what you're going to do? You might not change your Bible, but in your mind, you're going to start correcting your Bible. You need to be careful. Don't listen to them. You start thinking, well, I like sister so-and-so. She's got some really good thoughts. Yeah, absolutely. The devil's got a lot of thoughts too. You need to be careful. It's poison. Paul desired here for this church to be stable. I think the second thing he wanted for this church was for it to have security. Paul wanted Timothy to comfort them in the faith. And this has the idea of admonishing, consoling, encouraging, instructing, or standing alongside of some security. The people had faced a, a very discouraging experience here. They had been saved. Can I say that we have people that have been saved in this church? And guess what? You're here today, and you have you have a life ahead of you. You have a church around you that loves you and wants nothing but the best for you for the rest of your life. We, we are there for you. We're trying to teach you. We're trying to comfort you. We're trying to keep you from stumbling when we see things coming. We try to guard you from that. But this church, these people, they got saved, and guess what happened? I mean, I, right immediately, persecution came. Right after they had received Christ, their pastor was run out of town. I mean, can you imagine? There's the man who was, who was there and brought them the gospel, and all of a sudden he's gone. He's been run out. 
And he, Paul knew the anxiety, the anxiety that they felt. He knew the doubts that they had. He knew they needed someone to comfort, to console, to encourage and stand with them. Paul knew that he couldn't go himself because it would repeat exactly what had happened before. So Paul sends Timothy. He sends Timothy. He knew he would be beneficial and settling them in their faith. We need that same kind of comfort from time to time, don't we? And I ask you this, I, I truly believe, yes, we need, there's been, there's times, it's very, very clear in scripture that open rebuke is better than secret love. And I understand that. But there's other times when just rebuking, 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 and pointing out this is wrong and this is wrong. Listen, I, I'm telling you, I know pastors who dread hearing, a, getting a text or looking at their email from people in their churches that do nothing but send letters of complaint. Send a little text message out. we got to do something about that. Pastor, you need to address that issue. Address that issue. Instead of spending time with the Lord and trying to encourage one another, they've got an attitude that is tearing things down. We need to be, we need to be a Barnabas. Paul knew that Timothy would do this. We need the insurance, the assurance that fellow believers are there for us and they're there with us. We need the instruction and help that only comes to the Lord. And can I say his people? You, you, we do not understand the security that surrounds us in this church. I bring my family to this church and guess what? I know that we have security here. I know that we can come and I know there's going to be help. I know that I can come here and I can bring my boys and there's going to be some godly examples set for them. And that means something. It's hard to stand when you're asked to stand alone, amen. We should never underestimate the power of unity and support in the local church. Just the fact of knowing someone is there with us brings great benefits in our lives. The Bible says in Psalms 133, verse 1, Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Oh, it's wonderful. It's wonderful. But you take one person that steps out of those bounds and causes, causes division and causes chaos, and it, it brings chaos to the whole church. Can I say this, folks? We've had some people leave the church. It's not time to gossip. It's not time to gossip and wonder and talk about this and that. It's time to go on, to focus on our goal. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. It's not about looking in the past. I wonder what this, no, it's, it's moving on. It's moving on. You say, well, are you just so hard? No, absolutely not. When there's an empty seat, there's a piece of my heart that's missing. And if you don't understand that, I don't know where you've been for the last 10 years. But when somebody's not there for a pastor, when he sees empty seats, his heart is broken in a million pieces. And there's not a time that goes by where he's not thinking about them. But to start gossiping, bringing division, no, it's not that time. Time to move forward. Keep the unity of the church. Satan loves to so discord. And I say that's keeping unity both personally and within our church. It's going to take effort. It's going to take effort. You know what sometimes it takes? Keeping our mouths shut. Not saying something that we 
I'm right. It's right, and I'm going to say something. I have seen churches that I, I don't think that the Holy Spirit of God was in a million miles from them when they were having a business meeting. Yeah. And half of them, I would say, weren't saved. Why do people like to shine at a business meeting? Well, because it's their old flesh. It's their old flesh, and it's wicked. There is nothing in our flesh that is any good. It's all wicked. First Thess or Second Thessalonians 3, 6 says, Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw yourselves from every brother that walketh disorderly and not after the tra tradition which he received of us. Well, it seems kind of hard, preacher, when you say just to move on. No, it's not hard. It's biblical. It's biblical because I, I know my personal life and my family, we talked about a couple the other day that we used to spend quite a bit of time with that we had to actually remove ourselves from because there came things into their life that they started to allow. And our kids started getting older. Their kids started getting older. And we said, you know what? We can't do that anymore. And we weren't mean. We weren't rude. And we weren't arrogant about it. We just said, no, thank you. And we removed ourselves from that. Why? To protect our family. And the same thing goes for a church. Sometimes you have to remove yourself from people to protect the unity of the church. There shouldn't be a side over here that we're saying, well, this side over here, we're going to do good and, and, and we agree with this and that, but we don't, we're not going to talk to so-and-so over here because, you know, they believe that way. And I don't, I don't want to hear that. No, it shouldn't be that way. There needs to be unity in the church. And Satan loves when there's not. God has set the example for forgiveness and restoration. It's not up to us to try to, to, to go out and try to, to correct this and that. It's up to us to be faithful to the Word of God. In his book, The Pursuit of God, A.W. Tozer wrote this. Has it ever occurred to you that 100 pianos all tuned to the same fork? You understand, everybody, all the little ones here know a tuning fork. Have you, everybody, have you seen a tuning fork? No. There's one here somewhere in the church. I should get it and show it to you sometime. But you take 100 pianos tuned to the same tuning fork. He said, they are all, they are of one accord by being tuned, not to each other, but to another standard to which each one must individually bow. So 100 worshipers meeting together, each one looking away to Christ, are in heart nearer to each other than they could ever possibly be. You, know how you, you, want, to know, you want to know how you have unity in the church? It's not by getting along with one another. It's about looking to Christ. It's about looking to the Lord Jesus. If we look to Him and we follow His Word, guess what happens? We... We have unity. It's not about, well, I'm going to compromise because I'm going to, I'm going to be your friend and we're going to compromise here. No, it's not about that. It's about I am nothing. He is everything. And therefore, we have unity. We find that he desired security in this church also. We find lastly, he desires some steadfastness. Verse 3, it says that no man should be moved by these afflictions. For yourselves know that we are appointed thereunto. No man should be moved by these afflictions. I know it's easier said than done. 
Because I feel myself moved sometimes by different things. I find sometimes people can say things that are very hurtful. They might not think that they are, or they might know that they're being hurtful. And boy, it just, man, it hurts. You know, we don't suffer persecution like they did here in this church today. We have freedoms. And thank God for it. You say, well, how long are we going to have them? Well, we got them today. Let's use them. Let's be grateful that we have them, and let's keep using the freedoms that God has given us. First Corinthians chapter 15, verse 15 says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Paul wanted them to endure in the struggle, not to try to get away from the struggle. You say, well, I'm not going to say anything and I'm not going to try to to intervene because I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. No, listen, if your heart is right and you can help somebody, you should do it. You should do it. We find here he warned them of, of focusing on the storm rather than the Savior. He desired that they be steadfast and face this opposition that they would face. Paul's not being deceptive here. He is being very open about it and regarding the adversity, the persecution that they're going to face. He's not saying, you know, just, just stay with it. You know, it's all going to, it's all going to kind of blow over and, and everything's going to be great. We're going to have, you know, you're going to have peace. No, he said, yay, and all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. He's not saying, look, just hang in there. Everything's going to be all right. It's going to work out. It's, it's going to be all right. The sun's going to come up tomorrow. Yeah, it will. But we're still going to face persecution until that day. Praise the Lord. When we're gone, we don't have to worry about it anymore. And so shall we ever be with the Lord, the Bible says. And he says, wherefore comfort one another with these things. There's comfort in the word of God. They would be called upon to stand in the face of adversity. You see, for, for an example of this church, anybody that had been a believer before this had suffered persecution. And Paul knew that he needed to let them know that it wasn't something that, that was done in the past, that it was over with. They were going to face it each and every day. They were going to face persecution in their lives. <coughs> Trouble and difficulty will come when serving the Lord. And I say, but we must not be moved we must not be moved. We cannot forsake the truth for the approval of friends or family or the world. We're not seeking for their approval. I'll close with this story. I was reading this past week. It's, it's one of the stories in the Fox's Book of Martyrs. I don't know if you've ever read the Fox's Book of Martyrs. If you haven't, you should get that book and read it. On December 18th, 1555, as part of her campaign to reestablish the Catholic Church in England, Queen Mary, we know her as Bloody Mary, arranged for John Pilpot, one of the leading Protestant ministers of the day, to be burned at the stake. Can you imagine December 18th, just a few days before Christmas? When his death sentence was pronounced, he said, I am ready. God grant me strength and a joyful resurrection. He walked to the place of the execution on his own. Rather 
than having to be dragged to it. And when he reached it, he knelt and kissed the stake at which he would burn. And he said, I think he quoted the two different Psalms. They allowed him some time to speak before they started to fire. He quoted scripture. He stood there as he was getting ready to burn and quoted scripture. I think of my own life, I think many times that, you know, my horn's not working in my truck right now. And the other day I went to use it. I needed to, not out of anger or anything else, just because it was a dangerous situation that someone needed to, to, to move out of the way. And I, I hit my horn, hit it a couple more times. And I thought, how many times do we use our horn, blowing it at people and getting upset and huffing and puffing? And you read a story like this man here. He willingly walked to the stake to be burned alive. And you know, we have a hard time just handing out a gospel tract to somebody. Seems like we have a hard time just, just being faithful in the small things. And God help us. I say, folks, it's easy for us to focus on our problems and think that they're larger than they really are. Most of us have never endured genuine persecution for our faith. And I listen, I know you can say, well, my family, I, I, I know in my family, my my uncle got saved. This is years and years ago. When he got saved, my grandfather got so mad that when we would go visit, he would get up and he'd walk upstairs and he'd sit upstairs in his bedroom until we'd leave before he'd come down. Never want, he, he was so upset with mom and dad, he didn't care about the grandkids. You know what? That's not real persecution. That's sad. That's sad. I praise the Lord, the man got saved years later in his life. You know, you can say, well, that's real, genuine persecution. Or you don't know my family there. That's not persecution. How many of, how many of us have been burnt at the stake how many of us have friends that have been burned at the stake? No. He said, well, that's not our world today. Yes, it is. Right. In North Korea, in Iran, in places like that, there's being there's Christians being murdered, I mean, crucified, and everything else because they're saved. They're Christ. Yeah. They're Christians. We haven't suffered genuine persecution for our faith. You know, maybe a few times we've had people get upset because we've shared the gospel. I remember going into the, the apartment buildings over here. And a Pentecostal woman, bless her heart, got all upset because we were soliciting. I told her we're not soliciting. We're in here getting people the gospel message. And she huffed and puffed and said she's going to get thrown out of there. And I said, well, maybe you need the gospel message. That wasn't persecution. You know, I've had in the past church members tell me that doesn't work. You should stop doing that. You shouldn't go around bothering people. Yeah, that's fine. That wasn't persecution either. That was stupidity. You know, but we need to be grounded in the faith. There, there may come a day when we must make the same decision. Life or death. To be loyal to Christ. Regardless of the consequences, let's be faithful. 
Let's be faithful to the end. Like I say this, even in lesser trials, we have a decision to make. We will stand firm for what's right or we'll lower our standard to avoid trouble in our life. The Bible is very clear in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12. If there's ever a verse you should memorize, it's this one. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12. If you, if you haven't memorized it, I'd say write it down right now. And so you can memorize it. Because it says this, Yea, in all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. There's going to be persecution suffered. It's not if, it's when. When for those who live godly. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. I pray, Lord, that this message would be something that it would encourage us, Father, to stay faithful. Lord, I don't want to take for granted that a room this size with this amount of people here that everybody's saved. Lord, if there's one here today that's not saved, that doesn't know for sure, Father, that when they die, they'll go to heaven. I pray, Lord, that they would feel that Holy Ghost conviction right now. And Lord, they would realize their need of a Savior. And Lord, we could take our Bibles and show them how they can clearly, clearly see, Father, how they can be saved. And Lord, it just I pray, Father, that if there be anyone listening, Father, that doesn't know for sure that they're saved, I pray, Lord, that you'd give them no peace, Father, until they, Father, believe on you. Lord, we love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.